This morning, uh, I got a text from, I'm, I'm bringing out everybody's text today. This, uh, please don't text me all the time, but I get some good ones sometimes. Uh, yeah, here it is. This was good. This is from Martin Luther. Uh, he said, we can mention only one point, which experience confirms, namely that next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. No greater commendation than this can be found, at least not by us. After all, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was only given to man and to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music, namely by proclaiming the word of God through music. So Justin, thank you. Wherever you went, there he is. All right. Uh, Today, uh, we are starting the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We will be in the Gospel of Luke for the most part uh, from now and till the summertime. And uh, we're not going to go through it chunk by chunk, uh, starting in chapter 1, going through chapter 24. Uh, rather, we're going to kind of break it up into four parts and jump around a little bit. So the first part, we're going to start this week in chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way through the birth narrative, which is pretty much chapters 1 and 2. And by the time we get to chapter 2, we're pretty much going to hit the birth of Jesus and so the events around it right at Christmas, Okay. So when we finish the birth of Jesus and we get into the new year, we're going to look at meals with Jesus and encounters with Jesus in kind of January, February-ish. And then we'll move into Advent season and we'll stop encounters, meals with Jesus and start the passion of Jesus uh, during Lent, which is the end of the book. And once we're done with Easter, uh, then we'll pick up the teaching of Jesus, mainly the parables of Jesus. So you see how we'll kind of jump around. We'll hit every kind of uh, text in Luke, but we won't hit every text in Luke these next seven months. Uh, and, I, and I know we've been doing a topical series on our kind of mission, vision, values the last several weeks. But for the most part, as you know, if you've been a part of our church for a while, is that this is the way we're doing it this week and a week's going forward. This is the way we normally like uh, to put forth God's word for you. And the reason we do it isn't just to go into weird texts. Like, you've probably never heard a sermon on the first four, for first four verses in Luke chapter 1 before. I'm not doing it just to be uh, unique or clever. I'm doing it to whet your appetite for God's Word. That what you see, the glories that you see mined in God's Word. I mean, I've essentially been in the kitchen all week. I've been cooking this thing up, and I've been ready to serve it for you. This is what happens every week. But here's the thing. I'm not the only person who can get in the kitchen. You can get in the kitchen yourself. And you can cook your own meal with God's help so that you can eat. And so this is the reason we preach through books of the Bible is to whet your appetite to do this on your own. Okay? Uh, You also noticed, if you're on our email list, uh, that uh, Hayden Nesbitt uh, is putting together some short podcasts on how to read think about, and most importantly, apply Luke's gospel to your life. So I encourage you uh, to get in those for yourself. All right, let me pray, and uh, we'll do Luke 1. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, your word is active and living. It is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able uh, to discern our thoughts and cut through them and pierce to our hearts to show us the motivations that, lies with, that lie within our heart. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would do that now. Lord, that you would uh, convict us of sin. Lord, you would comfort us with your grace in ways that I could never do. 
uh, but that, Lord, you know these people. They are yours. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, particularly these next few minutes. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, Luke 1, verse 1. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some, some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The word of the Lord. One long run-on sentence. you see it? Just comma after comma after comma. And then in verse 4, you get to really the purpose statement. Why is Luke attempting the work that he's attempting? It's because he wants his audience, Theophilus, Theophilus is his, the recipient of this gospel. We'll talk about it here in a minute. He wants Theophilus to have certainty. And certainty is a, a big deal for us, that, that we want to be sure about things. And we want to doubt other things. Doubt is certainty's opposite. And think about it. Think about how certainty and doubt display themselves in your life. I think about conspiracy theories. You might find them ridiculous. You might find them entertaining. And maybe sometimes you might find them ridiculous and plausible. You might find them entertaining and plausible. And you're faced with these all the time. I mean, who killed JFK? Was it the CIA? Was it the mafia? Was it the Soviet Union? What about Area 51 out in Nevada? What's going on out there? Are they investigating aliens and we just don't know it? What about Bigfoot? I mean, I saw something this week that there's been 2,032 sightings of Bigfoot in Washington State. I saw something else that, said, that claims that Steve Jobs is still alive. I mean, there's a million of these, and you know them too. I mean, they hook us, even on our streaming services, don't they? I mean, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you've watched a conspiracy theory documentary, I bet you half of you would raise your hand. I bet you half of you would say, when I get depressed on a Friday night, what's the first thing I go to? Conspiracy theories. Now, now I'm catching you all laughing, and you all laughing, I know, you're busted. And I ask the question, how does anybody believe this stuff? I think it's a natural enough question, but I think there's a better question. What is it that people don't want to believe? What is it that they doubt? For instance, if you believe that the CIA killed JFK, I think it's very likely that you doubt the reliability of the government. I think if you believe the CIA killed JFK, it's very likely that you disbelieve mainstream media. So you see how this whole idea of certainty and doubt, they just aren't the things of child play. They cover some really serious issues facing us today. I know I gave you some funny ones. But there's some not-so-funny ones surrounding politics and even the pandemic. But certainty and doubt, they aren't just things that are going on out there with politics, the pandemic, or things like JFK and Area 51. This whole idea of certainty and doubt, they're going on right in here, aren't they? 
We've got doubts about our faith. Is the Bible really true? Has the church done more evil in the world than good? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Is there just one true religion? How can a good God allow suffering? And it makes sense that we would ask these questions because our faith is built on one long series of mysteries, isn't it? I mean, you have the virgin birth of Jesus. You have the substitutionary death of Jesus. You have the miraculous resurrection of Jesus. You have the ascension of Jesus into heaven. All mysteries. And so, yes, we do doubt these, but we doubt more than just the mysteries of Jesus. We also doubt our relationship to these mysteries. That's why we ask different questions like, does God really hear my prayers? Are my sins really forgiven? Will I definitely go to heaven when I die? And because we ask these questions about faith and these mysteries, and we ask these questions about our relationship to these mysteries, that's why we need this gospel of Luke. See, Jesus knew Christians for all time, not just Theophilus, would be asking questions like these, so he has Luke address believers who struggle to gain greater assurance. And so in order to give us assurance, Luke writes a certain kind of document with certain characteristics. And I want to lay out four for you. He puts, Luke has four characteristics in his gospel to give us assurance. The first one is that it's, he wants to write a historical account. Look at verse 1. Look, verse 1, he says that his gospel is about Quote, the things that have been accomplished, specifically by Jesus. So the book of Luke isn't just a journal entry. <laughs> it's about what happened to Jesus historically. So it's historical. Second, he wants his readers to know that the gospel is reliable. See, Luke wasn't an apostle. Apostles in the New Testament, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And Luke wasn't one of these. Luke wasn't one of the 12 disciples. And so he has a different source than his own two eyes. His source are the eyewitnesses. And these were the people that Luke interviewed. And one of the people that likely included was Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's why there's more detail in Luke than any other gospel of Jesus' birth. And they weren't just eyewitnesses to, to the resurrected Jesus According to Luke, right there, in, right there in, in our passage, is that they were also ministers of the word. Meaning that these were people who delivered the message of Jesus' life and work. And these people, many of them, were still alive at the time of Luke's writing. The events that Luke records only happened a few years before this. Luke's virtually a contemporary, even though he's not an eyewitness. So he's, he cannot be careless with his facts. He cannot promote propaganda because it would be exposed by these eyewitnesses. But that's not the case. So it's reliable because he did his research. And because his research was done with people who could call him out if it was false. So there's another reason it's reliable. It's reliable because it gives us embarrassing details about Jesus and about these eyewitnesses. I mean, think about how the disciples are portrayed in the Gospels. They're not exemplary for the most part. They're dull. They're dim-witted. They don't get it. You see, James and John, they're selfish. Peter denies Jesus. 
And then you have Jesus himself. Jesus has a, is in the temple where his anger rages and it could easily be misrepresented. People could, could have been trying to, 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 to protect Jesus' repu, reputation, but instead they want to give Jesus the real image of him, which was that he did get angry when he needed to get angry. You see Jesus as anxious in the garden. He's so anxious that he sweats blood. Jesus looks like a bad leader at the end of his life when no one follows him. He looks like a fool when he cries out on the cross. But it's not appearances that Luke is trying to maintain in his gospel for himself, for his friends, or for Jesus. He wants to give you and Theophilus the real Jesus, the real faith, warts and all. So you see, the inclusion of these embarrassing details, you see the historical reliability of this document to make it reliable. But you also see that you can trust it because of Luke. It's Luke himself. Luke is called Paul's fellow worker in 2 Timothy 4.11 and Philemon 24. You see, you see Luke portrayed as Paul's partner in ministry in Acts 16 and in Acts 20. So if his life did not model that of a genuine disciple of Jesus, then his writing would lose some sense of its reliability. So there are, there are these three characteristics. You have two characteristics right here. It's historical, it's reliable, and now let's look at a third, and that's thorough. Now, if you've been in the New Testament at all, you'll notice that Luke's quite a long gospel. In fact, it's the longest one. And when you include Luke volume 1 with Luke volume 2, which is the book of Acts, if you put those two together, you have one quarter of the New Testament is written by Luke. And Luke is long because it has abundant detail. And verse 3 tells us just how detailed he is. He says that he has followed all things closely, meaning he's taken his time to investigate. He's followed all things, meaning that his research has been exhaustive. And he looked at things from some time past, from the beginning, is the way it could be translated. So that's why he spent so much time talking about the beginning of Jesus' life in the first two chapters. But when you look at that phrase, follow all things closely, it comes... It, 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 the Greek word sounds like autopsy, and that's where we get our word autopsy. You know who does autopsies? Back in Jesus' day, doctors. Guess what Luke was? A doctor, according to Colossians 4.14. So he knows how to work on the body. He's got a doctor's gift for observation. He notices things that other people overlook, and he wants to bring those things to bear, this gift that he has to present us the life and works of Jesus that makes his work thorough. So it's historical, it's reliable, it's thorough, and lastly, you see that right there in verse 4, or verse 3, that it's orderly. See, he could have done all this research. He could have been thorough, historical, and reliable. He could have had all his files together, and he could have thrown them at Theophilus and said, you make sense of it. But he didn't. He wrote the gospel. He wrote the whole account himself. So I know the last five, six, seven minutes, I've just been giving you little Bible trivia nugget after Bible trivia nugget, right? You've been wanting to load your gun, how you can prove to your doubting friends on why the Bible can be trusted. But that's not mainly who I had in mind when I was writing my sermon this week, and that's not who Luke had in mind either. 
Luke had you in mind. See, this is important for me and for you today on October the 31st, 2021. And we need it specifically. And we need the Bible more generally in order to maintain any degree of assurance of Jesus and our faith. In other words, you cannot begin in faith without the Bible, nor can you grow in faith without the Bible. Why? It's because the Bible is the only, only sure place you can find Jesus. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Now, we have, God's given us a lot of other helps. To get, he's given us a lot of other helps to help us get through life. He's given us doctors to help us take care of our bodies. He's given us therapists to help take care of our mental health. He's given us pastors to teach us. He's given us friends and family as fellow journeyers. But the Bible alone has the ability to give us a pure, a pure sense of Jesus. See, all these other helps are polluted and tainted by some degree because of sin. So here we are. We're coming back from the pandemic, and the Bible has got to be center stage for us. Now, many of you know I was on sabbatical uh, all summer. And as I've come back, I've been meeting with a lot of people, uh, people that um, haven't been in our church uh, since before the pandemic, or people who've come back and they've been really spotty. And I've spent a lot of time listening. I've noticed a lot of things. I've noticed a lot of loneliness. I've noticed a lot of depression. I've noticed a lot of anxiety. And I can relate because all these three things, loneliness, depression, anxiety, they've been my unwelcome friends too the last year and a half. And loneliness, depression, anxiety can do a lot of things to us. One of them being is that they can whittle away at our assurance. So yeah, COVID is one reason we're short on assurance, but there's lots of others. Let me take our spirit of our age. The spirit of our age makes skepticism and doubt virtues and trust and belief sins. The spirit of our age makes skepticism and doubt virtues and trust and belief sins. It's fashionable to question. It's fashionable to be suspicious. It's fashionable to raise objections, especially anything religious. And it can be a good thing, but not always. Because if you're Reasons for doubting are motivated by anything other than a growing assurance of God's love for you. You might be missing the mark. So the reasons are many why we need assurance today. But know this, brother and sister, you're not alone. We're not alone as 21st century American Christians. We are Theophilus. We are the recipient of Luke's gospel. See, Theophilus just means beloved of God. And many scholars think that Theophilus is a real person, but he's just like us. We find ourselves as God's beloved too. And even though we are God's beloved, we struggle to gain assurance just like the historical Theophilus. And it raises an important question for you and me this morning. How do you know for sure that you're a part of God's beloved? How do you know that you're a Christian? Well, I can tell you a few ways you can't. The first is you cannot become certain by looking at your own understanding. You can't become certain by looking at your own spiritual performance. Because if the assurance of your faith rested on your ability to follow God, you could never be sure. 
You'd always have your doubts about your obedience and even about your faith. Another place you shouldn't go to see if you're a Christian is back to the moment you first trusted Jesus. Because your conversion experience didn't save you. Assurance does not come by looking within. Assurance only comes by looking without. The only way you can be sure of your salvation is by looking to Jesus, which is exactly what Luke is trying to do. So, brother and sister, I hope you're stunned by Jesus as we look at Luke. I hope you're caught up in all the mysteries of Jesus as we look at Luke. I hope you're astonished that he's extended you an invitation into his family as you look at Luke. I hope you're stilled by his great love for you as we look at Luke. So will you join me? Let's pray. Oh, Father, give us fresh eyes at passages that we've seen many times for many of us. And Lord, for those of us who the Christian faith is fairly new and unexplored, Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would, the scales would fall off. And Lord, we would really, we really would, we would be in awe at your beauty. Do this these next several months, we pray. Amen.